If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season one of Cult Talk will focus on a little-known cult called the Kobu, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. In this final interview with my mom, she talks about life after leaving the cult for good, what she and my dad did to reintegrate into society, how she feels now about other people who are still to this day stuck in the Kobu. And yes, there are some people, even after Stuart's death, who are hanging on to the group. And she talks about what helped her and what she thinks can really help people who are trying to leave an oppressive group but just don't know how to get out. Okay, so mom, then what happened when you returned from Haiti? That's when you guys left right away? It was probably within a week. Okay. And um, I had found out that um, your dad had left and was back in Pennsylvania and wanted me and you to go. And I wanted to, but I was sort of like acting like I didn't. So I wouldn't just be out in the street in New York. You mean acting like you didn't want to go with the members? That I wasn't sure. And they're like, they're like, well, you know, it's upsetting. And, you know, I guess Stuart got wind of it. And it was probably the only conversation I ever had with him on the phone. I remember it perfectly clear. Later, he claims that he did not tell me this, but he did. He said, well, why don't you just go and visit for a little while? Because I know he was up here. You know, they told me that I didn't know when I was in Haiti that he'd come up to try and get you and they wouldn't let him have you. They wouldn't let my dad have me. Correct. Right. And so he went back to Pennsylvania to my parents' house. So I said, okay, I'll do that. That was the end of that conversation. And I told everybody what he had said and we made arrangements. And you know, it's so foggy. I can't even remember. I don't know if I took the train. I don't know if he came and picked me up. I really don't remember what happened. I probably took the train. Did you have a lot of stuff to take with you? No, no. You guys didn't really have anything. Just clothing. And uh, your your uh, many toys or anything. You had that Grover from Sesame Street that you loved. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, St- Stuart would have never done that years later. 
I mean, in talking well, to members the years who were in the decades after you, he would have never said, oh, go ahead and leave for a while and he, see how you feel. He wouldn't have said it then. He said just for a visit. Okay. He, and he didn't say how, how you feel. I'm probably uh, paraphrasing that, but it was really weird for him to do it then. But I know I didn't mistake it because I can picture myself. I know what apartment I was in, what who was with me, where I was sitting. And I know he said it. And then later when they would try and call us at my mom's house, like, when are you coming back? Well, I knew I wasn't coming back. They're like, Stuart never said he never said that. And I know for a fact he did. And it didn't matter then. It didn't matter anyway, because I was I was not going back. We were already making plans to try and find some place to live, to get jobs. Other couples and families had already left. We were in touch with them. We were meeting with them on weekends and everybody was talking about their plans and uh, news that they had from back at uh, MTC, Manhattan Training Center, and who was leaving. And I felt like you had a whole group of people who left at the same time as you. We did. There were, it was um, four or five families. Families. There were at least five families that we were really close to. And we met with all of them. Some were in Allentown, um, some were in the area we were in, but we would pick somebody's house. Like uh, some people had left before us and actually had places to live. And nobody felt like they wanted to go back. It was just talking about like how crazy it was. And now what are we going to do from here? And then looking into for churches or mm-hmm. someplace to go for fellowship because you always thought everything else was way watered down and, you know, which is not true. Did um, you feel like that was, I mean, they call it deprogramming now. You don't think of it like that when you're going through it, but did you feel like you had to go through that shift in your mind of like what Stuart was telling you was quote, real Christianity, which was so messed up right? to, yeah, finding an actual church. Right. Was it difficult yes. yeah, to because, lose that? Because it's done in a much more structured manner. People aren't living and breathing it 24-7. Right. And they're actually working jobs. And you're like, well, how do you balance all that? How do you have a job that's separate from the organization where Correct. you're also faith-based, you know, because now it's not like you're working for Christian Brothers carpet cleaning or dad wasn't. You have a different boss. It's not like you're around people all of the time where you're living right right in this group. Right. It's mainstreaming. You're actually mainstreaming back into a regular society that's been going on without you. (laughs) <laughs> the entire time. So what was the full, I mean, even though you moved away in the middle and came back, what was the full span of years? Six years? Well, probably on and off. I would say five to six years. Five yes. to six years. Mm-hmm. So then what did your parents think? My grandparents, Nina and Papa, were they helpful or were they just kind of, did they not talk to you about any of it? No, they talked to us. My dad didn't as much, but my mom did. I told you my mom had a lot of faith anyway. So mm-hmm. um, she was glad we were back. She didn't think it was healthy. You know, she was glad you were back and we were okay. And um, they helped us any way that they could. We stayed there for quite a while. And um, ended up getting um, a place that our friends who had left had. They had left before us. They moved somewhere else. So we lived there and that was in the mobile home out yeah. in Elizabethtown in the country and um, just started from there. And your dad um, had always known how to paint and wallpaper. And he uh, started working for a guy who was a Christian, super nice guy, started working for him. I had some part-time work in the evening at uh, a local store. They don't have at Murphy's. It was like a five and 10. Nobody knows what that means, but it's like a watered I down remember those. Kmart. They had the lunch counters. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I remember that. Oh, 
yeah, you could get a potty melt. Yes. (laughs) So we did that. And just, we would always meet, you know, together. And we started doing things. I I, uh, started bowling, which I was terrible at. Oh, yeah. We had talked about that, I think, before. You started a bowling league. And and started meeting other Christians. We started going to the Hershey Free Church, which was in Hershey. And we liked it. They had a lot of children's programs. You looked around and thought, you know what? There's a lot of people that love Jesus. There's a lot of people that are serving him. It doesn't have to be in this way. We thought we were doing something that was above and beyond and the best, just like the disciples did. We gave our all, just like the disciples in the Bible. We just depended on God for everything, but it turned out that it was very small and limited and not really about God and how huge it could be. It turned out to be very suffocating because it was coming through a human being and it kept getting worse and worse. It might have started out with good intentions, but it ended up being all about what was told to you. And you started meeting people on the outside that were attending church that actually had a personal relationship with God. We used to make fun of, well, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, like making fun of a Southern preacher or something. Mm -hmm. And it turned out it really was true. And it didn't have to be through this person. You want to meet together with other Christians for strength and unity, fellowship, things like that. But what we thought was going to be so freeing and so dedicated turned out to be dedicated to an an interpretation coming from a person and that person's moods and how you were treated by that person and how the whole group was treated and who was in favor that week. It was so far. We didn't really even get to have a chance to have any personal time with God. No, you didn't. And And, you you have to have that. Yeah. And you, it seems like you didn't have a chance to really build your lives. No. I mean, you guys were delayed in that. That was supposed to be our life. You had to start, you know, and I remember loving that trailer, not to say, but I mean, you had to start over. Dad had to go back to school to get a trade. Right. Um, You had to start from the bottom up with your work life because it was all on pause. Exactly. Everything was on pause for the good of really Stuart. Right. Not the greater good. Right. And he amassed a fortune and he just passed away, as we heard. We'll talk about that in a bit. Right. And he's worth, according to Rick Allen Ross, the culty programmer who I did get a chance to talk to recently, he's worth about $7 million, which isn't a lot in the cult leader world. Right. If you compare it to Scientology or something. It's worth a hell of a lot more than the Kobu members. Could, could amass. No and so kidding. it kind of makes me angry thinking right. like he's living that life as a result. Off the backs of other people. Of people who he he stalled their lives. Not right. that he forced you to be in it. Right. It's everyone's choice. Right. So I want to make that clear. But I don't know. That just it's just hard to swallow. Right. That the people who were in it were trying to serve a greater purpose. And then they right. had to struggle when they got out. Exactly. Where he never had to struggle financially. Right. I mean, did you guys ever think about that? There's a verse in the Bible that says that if you're given much, you're required much. You're more responsible if you're given all this. So we'd be like, oh, he's got such a burden. He didn't have a burden. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, 
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, you gave me uh, the book uh, Captive. It was um, uh, Keith Rainier about Keith Rainier's group. Nexium. Yes. Yeah. And they really went off the rails. Not that the Kobu didn't, but I mean, they really got into some dark stuff. But the personality traits and some of the other, I, it was really surprising. Keith Ranieri and Stuart Trail are very similar. It was, I'm reading it and I mean, they really went dark. I'm not saying, oh, the Kobu was great, but I mean, we didn't have any kind of physical torture, you know, but but the whole thing with Gail's helpers, which happened way after our time, but all that stuff. And he, he would always say, you know, use the term Dom. It meant dirty old man. And he'd always warn everybody, anybody over 30. And the thing is, is like, why? Because you have those traits, Mm -hmm. you know, but I couldn't believe they were so similar. Some of the traits and some of the behavior and some of the patterns. It was just, I read that book in two days. I could not put it down. It was like reading about myself, not in really bad, but just the thread that went through the whole thing was unbelievable. The themes are so similar with all cult leaders, even if the way they manifest them and the rules and the doctrine and the abuses are different. I feel like the themes are very similar. Right. They are. And it's not a certain type person. And in that one, she was like 19, mm-hmm. 20, looking mm-hmm. for, you know, and he went after that. At that point, where you're not sure if you're going to go on to college, finish college or not. In our case, it was a tumultuous time as well. It's just ripe for the picking. Yeah. You know, and when you say like the patterns were similar, what kind of patterns did you see with Keith Ranieri and Stuart Trail? No matter what he did, he was not a bad person. Anything he said was like gold coming out of out of something. Right. Like and, they're exempt from criticism right. no matter what. And nobody can question them. David right. Miscavige, who is actually known to like hit people with his fist in the face, right. who questioned him. Scientology's leader. Correct. So you feel like you're going into this freeing thing and actually you're going into this totally restrictive, awful thing mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with you growing and getting to a higher place and then constantly throwing it back on you that you're not growing and going to a higher place, which is how you keep people there. Right. You know, the Scientology thing, you get to the very top and you're clear and then you find out you have to start over again. Right. In their case, it's millions and millions of dollars to do that. In this case, it was just like you just work your butt off and for no money and then you leave with nothing. Correct. Leaving with nothing is really hard. Do you feel like that other people left while you did was 
helpful to you in not going back? Because what if you, all of your friends had still been there and you guys were just alone? Well, so not that you would have gone back, but right. did it make a difference? It did make a difference because the first time we left, we weren't alone. We were with family, your dad's family in yeah. Florida. His cousin and his wife, they were Christians. So that was helpful. But they were, you know, had never been in that situation. So when everybody said, oh, it's so much better, you can have your own apartment. We're over in Brooklyn now. We did go back. But then when there was more of an exodus and we were able to gather together outside and just compare ideas and talk about things, it was just so clear. And amazingly, out of all these people that left that we got together with, there was never anyone who would say, oh, you can't say that. You can't say that about Stuart or, you know. Really? Never. So everyone just turned. Every, Not turned, but everyone just started speaking their truth. I think because they were had already been thinking it for a very long time, but you have to admit it to yourself and then you have to have the courage to go and you have to make sure that your spouse or whoever you're leaving with or whatever, wherever you're going, that they're on the same page. Did you ever get, to, did you ever talk to outsiders about your experience or did you just keep it within the circle of ex-COBU members? Just within the circle. Not until you years later because it was embarrassing. I was embarrassed. I wasn't ashamed. I was embarrassed because you're talking to people who have been Christians for years and they've gone to church and that's how they've always done it. Mm-hmm. And we went outside of that. It, it was just sort of hard to explain because they look at you like you have it. Not that they're judging you. You're judging yourself. And you feel like they may be, but they're not. I I never had that happen, but it took a long time. It's not like it was like bothering me. Like I need to talk about this. (laughs) But years later then I could talk about like I am today. Like it was sort of just so long ago. Right. Right. Because you had to gain that much experience necessarily. If so many other people are going through and people go through all kinds of things. Right. You know, this is just one. Well, you had to gain that much time and maturity that you'd been there, you had to gain gain at least that much time and maturity, reestablishing yourself and finding out your path and your family's path to equal that time out you were in there. Right. Exactly. And do you feel like you ever thought of it as a cult back then or ever? I mean, it's classified as one on websites now. It is Stuart Trail is classified as a cult leader. I mean, the definition of a cult is somewhat flimsy compared, you know. Right. It's loose. Yeah, it's a loose definition. For a long time. Yeah, I I obviously do now. I would say in past how many years because because of Scientology and other things that have come out and people talking about it. And I'm like, it is the same. I think something to clarify for people who have never been in a group like this, you don't call something a cult while you're in it and other people calling it a cult. And this is something that James talked to me about as well is not helpful to you getting out of it. Right. So it's like, if somebody accuses you of being in a cult, you're likely to defend it more if you're still in it, because you're like, are you kidding me? That's not what this is. You only look at something as a cult in retrospect mm-hmm. from the outside in. Correct. And it's actually difficult to ever look at it that way if you were in it because it's like that embarrassment thing right. as if it was your idea <laughs> to right. make it into exactly. a cult. And nobody joins a cult. They join a movement or a group or next right. time they join a business model or they join a religion. Or, but right. then you look back and you're like, uh, I was in a cult. I just didn't know it. And in captive, and I'm sorry, I don't remember their names, but the the it, The, the Nexium book. Yes, the Nexium book, the mother and the daughter. When she started talking to her daughter about that, her daughter started digging her heels in and saying, no, it's not a cult. It's this and that. Exactly. Not really knowing what she's thinking. But we would just 
slosh it off and be like, you know what? That's because you don't understand we're serving God 24 seven and nobody does that anymore. How do you know nobody does that anymore? We didn't even know anything about anybody else. We weren't allowed to know anything about anybody else. So we were just taking his word for it. We don't know what other people are doing. You know, only God can judge your heart. And that's something I've always gone by. And that really helped me afterwards because that's where it counts. Right. It isn't like if you're standing up at the meetings or not, or, you know, whatever. You're voting on who's a true follower. It, it was so limited, even though it supposedly it was so unlimited. We didn't really know anything. I feel like being in a cult is partly about having this air of superiority. It is. Based on exclusivity, where you say everyone else is doing it wrong and only we know the truth. That's correct. And the leader is the one who dictates that kind correct. of attitude and who perpetuates it and then scares you from ever being part of something that's not as exclusive or superior. Because you'll be less than. Because you'll be, be less than, than a Christian. Right. And so you when you leave, you have to be like, well, I guess I'm going to go be worse off, even though ironically, you'll finally be free. <laughs> right. Because if you left there, you were not a you backslid, which I told them when we first went to Florida and came back, I am not backslidden. So I knew in my heart and that backslid is define it again. It's what like it's, if you left the group, you were backslidden. Backslidden in the Bible means like you've gone away from Christ. You've back to your old ways. You right. don't believe in God anymore. That's a huge term that Stuart used. And it's, it's, and you can't use that with a broad paintbrush. Right. You know, it's something very personal. His big thing was come now, let us reason together, which um, I should be ashamed because I don't know this, but I think it's Isaiah or Proverbs or something. And that was his big thing that you could sit down and reason with somebody and specifically show them in the Bible. And they would know that, you know, they should come to to Jesus and that this is how the group is. The thing is, is he was the most unreasonable person I have ever met in my entire life. You could not talk to him. He wasn't reasonable with us at all. He bullied everybody. And somewhere in the back of your mind, that Reverend Wormbrand visit was really a turning point for a lot of people because he had suffered for Christ because he loved God. He loved him. It wasn't about browbeating. It wasn't, you know, and he had been physically tortured and his wife. And I mean, he was just a beautiful person. And when he talked, it was almost angelic. And I just, we just all remember the stark comparison Mm -hmm. of being like, you know, this is what God's like. This is not what is God is like on Stuart's side, you know? So that was a huge thing. It was just ironic about come now, let us reason together. And he talked his way out of a paper bag. Right. Exactly. It was all about um, talking, 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 telling you what you don't know who you're not, right. who you don't believe it. You know, that was his MO. Which will never, never be. Forgiveness and love. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, inclusion right. at all. Right. It was His group is really about exclusion. That's what I've learned from the other ex-Kobu members oh, it is. too. It was like the haves and have-nots, who's right with God, who's, they would like vote each other out and things like that. And in fact, I heard from one of the ex-Kobu Facebook pages when Stuart just passed away this past week, we're recording this in mid-October and he just passed away. We just heard this news. Last week. Last week. On the last Last day before he passed away, or at least the week before he passed, he was on some conference call having people vote about who was really a servant of God and who wasn't. And he was still doing the same thing. It's so dangerous. And then he died and he died like this. So he had never changed. In fact, he got worse, according to a lot of people who were in it later than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was just him to the very end.
What did you think when you heard about his you death? Know, it's funny. I it's um I didn't really think anything. Yeah. I didn't have this feeling like oh good the the the, hor- the horrible things over. I didn't really feel sad. He's, he was old. I mean, yeah. he, he went to sleep and passed away. So I really didn't think anything. I'm like, oh, it must be his time. Only God can judge your heart. So I have no idea. My big thing, what I went immediately to is like, what's going to happen now? Because I thought a lot about Gail. Uh, not that I was that close to her, but I had known her. I mean, she was very young when she started being his secretary before Shirley left or he got rid of Shirley or whatever. And the comparison, I feel like she physically can't, can't do anything. I don't know if she's in a vegetative state or what um, that's what I heard it I don't know if that's true but yeah we should just clarify that for a moment they okay. were in an accident in I believe Haiti or somewhere I don't else. know it could where, be somewhere I'm not else sure where it was outside of the country I believe Stuart was driving and they were in a very bad accident and Gail it's some hemorrhage situation I don't know about the right. exact medical details right. but I don't think she's in a vegetative state now from what I've heard but she's oh, okay. very she has a she has a, a real helper now as opposed to the, the right. fake Gail helpers right. back then right. and I think she's someone described it on a group I read recently as um, just a very simple-minded state. Okay. She can do certain things and she can, I think she can speak. Oh, okay. However, See, I, I that. heard that Stuart, after she was debilitated, basically said that she wasn't a real wife anymore. And so of that he, he allowed himself to take half wives. Of course he would. But she is still alive right well, now. And that's where I went to after after I heard that, because I'm like, what's going to become of her? I sort of feel like what happened to her physically, which this is not like, woo, this is all spiritual. But I look at when I used to think about it, I'm like, you know what? He did that to her at a very young age when she was so vulnerable. And I mean, he's like supposed to be like the king almost, you know, and took her in and ruined her life mm-hmm. and then physically ruined her life. And um, it, it, I, it made me really, really sad. And then my next thought was, what's going to happen now? You're going to have all these people who think they're like Stuart wannabes. And, you know, well, he was nice to me more than he was nice to you. Like, what's going to happen to all this? What's going to happen to the orphanages? How many people are going to carry this on? There's nobody going to be like him because he was absolutely crazy. Supposedly a genius, just like Keith, Keith they I, all think they're geniuses. I, oh, he went to Lehigh. Everybody, he's a genius. That's Lehigh. Why, that's why, yeah, Lehigh University. That's why it's so cool that we're with him because he's a genius. Okay, whatever. Like, what's going to happen to the whole thing? Whatever happens, happens. But um, it must be, I feel bad for all the people that are in it. They probably don't want my pity and I don't pity them. The confusion. And, and then now you're going to have to have introspect yeah. because you can't go to him to have him tell you if you're bad or good. Right. You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. And, th- and that's probably really scary for people who have been there for years. Yeah. How scary is that? For decades. Yeah. So that that is basically what I thought about the, the wake behind. And there's not that many people in it, but there are people that like have given up their whole lives as Gail did physically and spiritually. Yeah. What would you tell anyone who's in a group like this now? I mean, like, like Kobu, there are people still in it, still down on his estate. I think mostly women, but some men too, or just in any group who's starting to question things. What's a, what's a step to leave? I mean, you guys had your own way out and you were also not held there at gunpoint or anything. Right. And we had families and stuff. But what helped you? Was it family? Was it other people leaving? Was it just, was it having a partner, a child? I think it was having a family and wanting to leave with your partner and your child. It was having uh, support on the outside, but I know a lot of people there are single. There are a lot of people, ex-Kobu members that could be very helpful and are, are doing it lovingly. Jim LaRue, 
is wonderful. He, he's loving about it. You can tell when you read his books. I mean, he stayed there regardless. He'd give it the old try again. I mean, it was unbelievable what he went through. What was it that you were on? It's a- There's a group on Facebook called Used to Be in Kobu. Right. And that's a great resource. And you can send a request to the moderator. And if you explain your situation or your connection to Kobu, you know, they'll likely let you in. I'm I'm in there talking to people and it's a very supportive place. I think talking to ex-members is like the number one way to start getting your head not reprogrammed, whatever you want to call it, but just starting to get a different perspective, right? Because they know what you've been through and there's not a a lot of judgment either. Like there is maybe even from family sometimes who are like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Get out of there. You're in a cult. That's not helpful. Well, and I think there's some ex-members that are after reading, poor Jim LaRue, I'm dropping his name like crazy, but (laughs) in his book, there are some um, ex-members that are still up in the New Jersey and the New York metro area. And I think they stay in touch maybe for that reason, which is wonderful. Yeah. Dave Wilkerson's group is up there. They're very familiar with the Kobu. They've been in New York City right next to them for years and years and years. So if there's some way to reach out just to get another perspective because of being so exclusive, the normal outside Christian is never going to understand how deep and how wide and how devoted, but an ex-Kobu member will. And that's true for any group, an ex-Nexium member, an ex-Scientology member, an ex-whatever. And it could even be cross-cult, you know, like someone who's in a different cult. But if you can find someone truly who left yours in a similar time period, Mm -hmm. even, I think that's... I would think that's the most helpful. It is. It is. Because that's what helped us. We would meet with that group of friends every weekend till we started getting our feet on the ground. And did you see a similar, did you see a similar pattern with the other families who left, like trying to start their new lives, searching, making meaning of it? Did you all go through similar patterns? Yes. Getting some people went back to get more education, went back into family businesses, Mm -hmm. you know, to try to, you know, getting housing, just getting into society. Yeah. Is really what it is. You're, when you're in the Kobu, you're in it, but you're not of it. You yeah. know, which is the whole thing from the Bible. You're in the world, but not of the world. Okay. Well, that you can do that in your daily life. You mm-hmm. know, everything was literal. How would you describe your faith then today or your feeling about a relationship with God or being a Christian or how you identify compared to all of that stuff back then? I I think it's, I understand so much more. I'm so much closer to God. I never had a right view of God because of the whole love and forgiveness. It's much stronger, much deeper. I understand how to do it in society with people I meet every day, things that go on in my life, uh, great times, hard times. You know, it's, I, I didn't know anything. I knew a lot of verses and I knew and I loved <laughs> God. And I love Jesus, but you didn't have the time to have that personal thing, which was by design. And it's also like as as great as he, uh, Stuart acted like God was, he wouldn't let him be great. He was God. Right. He was the one in charge. And it, it's okay it's, to have a good, successful life. Of course it's okay it is. to have, it's okay to reap the bounty of what you sow and it's, you don't have to just be destitute and, right. you know, that's all seemed right. to well, be passed away too. Exactly. Yeah. But he required that of his followers. Right. Which I always thought um, the whole, that was always a thing with the orphanages. Everybody's like, oh, look, he has a heart for that. Just like that's how we found his life. I don't think he had a heart for anything. He wasn't nice to his family. I, I, I didn't really even know him, you know, I yeah. was just afraid of him. But in his passing, I really, you know, he was an old man who died, really. What's going to happen? 
you know? Well, I think you sharing your story is helpful and the other people who are going to come on and talk about Kopu. And then when we get into future cults and drawing the parallels, I'm hoping that this is just helpful to anyone. Me too. Who's struggling in it or who knows someone or to understand it from the inside out, not just look at it, the scandalous or sensational headlines to understand the inner workings of something. And I think any of the, as we were talking about Scientology and the other cults, it's helpful reading that stuff. Mm -hmm. I have watched every episode of Leah Remini, Scientology, since she first started. Me too. I have watched every single one because it is so much the same. Totally different structure, totally different money thing. Those people lived on the outside, except for the Sea Org. And you know why? That's when you realize. The success of what she's doing, not just on a personal level with these people who she's truly helping, but on a systematic level, is because she is an ex- cult member. Correct. Because I've watched these Dateline specials just like you have. I mean, we're we're always watching cult stuff, or at least I am. I know you're interested in it too. (laughs) Our family is deep into the cult documentaries, (laughs) people. But when you see an ex-cult member who truly believed in it head a project like this up, you'd notice a difference. And that's why she's winning the Emmys. And that's why she's actually causing change to happen. That's right. It's not just a host who's saying, okay, well, tell me about this. Who really doesn't understand. Not that you can't, you can, you can, you know, definitely dive into something and do a good job of it. But there is just something different about her doing it because she knows. Right. She knows. Exactly. You got hoodwinked. And when you talk to other people, she talks to other people. It's painful for them. It's painful for her. You can see it. And that's why I'm saying about these people, they're still there. I feel bad. And not that they don't want my pity. I don't pity them, but I do feel bad because you're there. I don't know how they're going to move on. I'm sure they will, but But I hope they will. And there's so much available. That's why I was saying there's so much available with all these books. It's, it's, it's very helpful. You will see the similarities maybe more than you want to. Right. Exactly. Well, thank you, mom. Sure. I love you. I love you too. I appreciate this. We'll pause here for now, but join us for the continuing story on the next episode of Cult Talk. Also, join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform and leave us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with Cult Talk.